One of the beauties of the Word of God is that it meets every need that we have. It can instruct us. It can encourage us. It can rebuke us. It can refresh us. And it can challenge us. Just by reading even the same book, if you will, and looking at it from a different perspective each time we look at it, can make a difference in the life that we live. The Scriptures were written for our instruction, that we through the patience and the, and the comfort of the Scriptures indeed might have hope, an, an opportunity to have this beautiful life here and to enjoy a beautiful life in the hereafter. And as we read the Scriptures again, we need to remind ourselves that these were written by human beings that in the world in which they lived, it was just as real to them as the world in which we live. They had the same problems we have. They had the same hope that we have. They had the same opportunities that we have. They just met them in, different, in, in the same ways that we meet a lot of ours. And the challenge is there that's there for us to draw from and to help us in a life that we live along the way. And that's the way it is with that brief little book in the New Testament of Philemon. It's a short little book. It's written to address a particular issue. And as we look at that particular issue and see how Paul is right into Philemon, what's involved in it, the hope that he gives, the challenge that he gives, and the perspective that we have to understand what we have in Christianity. We're reminded as you look at the Scriptures, and we'll look at it a little bit more as we go on, it's amazing that as names are given, and some of them were given names that are a little, sometimes hard to pronounce, uh, but that's nothing new. Um, oftentimes when, when I was in school, as the day of school day started, they'd be going down calling roll, and I'd just wait till they got to the M's, because they could get the David out, but that is about as far as they could get. And I'd just tell them what my name was, and then she could go on calling the rest of the roll. Uh, so that's not, not unusual that you've got names that are hard to pronounce and you wonder how you pronounce it. That's okay. Uh, you know, we don't always get them right here as well, but they are reminders to us that God knows, cares for, and invests in individuals directly. Changes their lives. They are known by God by name. He knows them all to begin with, but they mention by name in the Scripture so that you may know that out of the vast majority of Christians that have lived and the vast majority of God's people who have lived, God knows individuals by name. He knows the good and the bad. And as their names are given here in Philemon, we have both signs that you get to look at. He gives us names that we get to look at. you got Mark. Get to look at the, the life of Mark from its beginning of Christianity towards the latter end of Paul's life. You got a Demas. You got a Demas in early in Paul's ministry, and you have Demas towards the end of Paul's ministry, and you have totally flip flop, if you will, as to what they did and how they responded to the life that they had in Christianity. And we need those reminders that they are there. How many people do we know that? Struggled at the beginning and then turned out to be fantastic children of God. Very effective in the Lord's work. And then those who have been very effective in the Lord's work turn around and lose their faith and depart from the living God. 
And those, so it's there to remind us to be refreshed as we read through there, to see what's there and what's involved in it. It's a model of Christian cur- uh, um, courtesy along the way. Paul is being very courteous, very polite in what he has to say to address an issue. Ah, look who's coming in. Good to see Helga. Uh, It's very encouraging to see how issues are addressed. They lived in a time frame that as they did in the first century, and that's slavery. They reminded to us so many times that slavery, oftentimes was those that were slaves were not ignorant individuals. Oftentimes those that were the slaves were the well-educated. They had just been subjected or over, their country has been overrun by another powerful force, and then they became slaves. Oftentimes they were better educated, better able to communicate and to share and to encourage than were the masters. But we have a situation here where we have one as time would unfold. We don't know the beginning of Philemon and what his history was beforehand. But it turns out that he hears the gospel, he obeys the gospel, becomes a child of God, and he has slaves under him. Somewhere along the line, one of those slaves, Onesimus, had rebelled against his master and had left. Run away. Common occurrence in times. And again, when they were caught, the consequence was usually not pleasant at all. When the slave was returned to the master, because the master wanted to leave an impression upon the other slaves of what would happen if they also would try to escape. So we have this situation that Onesimus had fled from his master. Somehow he had traveled a great distance, if you will, as a runaway slave, ended up in the city of Rome. One place you'd want to go if you wanted to be unknown or not easily detected would be to go to a large city where there's a huge population and you'd just be one of many. So Onesimus had gone to Rome. Somewhere along the line, Onesimus had come in contact with the Apostle Paul. And in the course of their conversation or in their association with each other, Paul had taught Onesimus the gospel. And Onesimus had obeyed the gospel. We mentioned that a little bit this morning. But it's also that, that reminder that as he obeyed the gospel, he has the, the blessings of being a child of God, a new creation. He has the blessing of having forgiveness of his sins. But he also then has the responsibility. As much as depends on you to be to be right with all individuals. He had run away from home. He had become very useful to Paul. Paul was great to ha- was grateful to have Onesimus with him to serve him and to help him in the, in the spreading of the gospel. But, truth be told, Onesimus needed to return home. He needed to go back to his master. Again, where either one had become Christians, we're not sure, but again, the situation is there, that Onesimus needed to return home. So Paul would love to have kept him, but he knew he needed to return back. So he writes a letter to Philemon to encourage him that when Onesimus returns, 
of how he needs to be received. Just because one is a child of God, one believes they have obligations and that they need to maintain certain standards and certain uh, way of living to make the impression of what needs to be done. Usually, again, if a, returns, a runaway slave returns, they were severely beat, if not killed. They were severely mocked, to, to, again, to remind them that they were slaves. Whether, whether Philemon would have done that or not, we're not told. But he carries the, Onesimus carries the letter back to, to Philemon with Paul's admonition of how he needs to be treated now that he has returned. And to remind Philemon of several things along the way. But it's a, a lesson in Christian courtesy. I would love to keep him. He is good for me. But he needs to return home to you. Now as he returns home to you as a courtesy, you need to treat him with respect. In fact, you, you really need to treat Onesimus, a runaway slave. You need to treat Onesimus as you would treat the Apostle Paul. If Paul came to your house, how would you treat him? There'd be a difference, would there not, between a runaway slave and the Apostle Paul. Paul is simply saying, you need to receive Onesimus as you would receive me along the way. It's a manifestation, the book of Philemon, of Christian love. You have to see the love in there. The love for the soul. The love for the soul that says, regardless of the situation out of which you come, you have a love for God, a desire to be right in the eyes of God, and, there's something, and there are some things that you need to do in order to make that right in the eyes of God. Christian love towards one another. Love one another. Who said that? Jesus. Love one another as how? As I have loved you. How had Jesus loved his disciples? How had he loved humanity? How had he loved when we were enemies? Go to Romans 5 verses 8 through 10 and find that out. While we were enemies, God... Christ died for the ungodly. He died for us. Then we ought to love one another as Christ has loved us, as God has loved us. Paul goes on to say there in Romans 5, that if God so loved you when you were an enemy of His, how much more do you think He loves you now that you are His child? How much more should Philemon receive Onesimus back? Not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. He may still have the duties and obligations and whatever else may be involved in that. A whole scriptures deal with a whole host of things along that way of what needs to be done. Telling servants basically, or slaves as the word would be used, and again over the years, we've changed the word from slaves to servants because servants sounds a lot more pleasant than does the word slave. But if you're a slave, you say, serve your master, don't worry about it. Do what's right where you are at. If you have the opportunity to gain your freedom, fine. But if not, you just serve where you're at. 
Has that changed? Still the attitude today, is it not? Don't worry about where you thought you ought to be or what you would like to be. You serve God where you're... Well, it's not fair. It's not right. It's not right for me to be a slave and for him to be a master and for us to be brothers in Christ. It's not right. Paul said it's not that question. You serve where you are in society, but you serve under the direction of God and his word, and you are to love one another and treat each other as brothers in Christ. Again, it just changes the life that we live. And that's where the challenge comes down to us to be able to do that. And it shows the power of that Christian conversion, the change that can take place within the life. But more than that, as you read down through there, and we're not going to go into a whole lot of detail on that, but it's, it's interesting to me towards the end of the letter of Philemon, that Philemon is going, that Paul is going to address as he writes to Philemon, he's going to mention some names along the way. And it's interesting to go back and to do the, the research on that and to look at those names and see what's being said. I mean, you, you read the name of Epaphras, who was one of them, as the Colossian letter would remind him, that he was from Colossae. And that's where evidently Philemon's at as well. But it's when you get to Mark. He's mentioning Mark by name in his letter, that Mark is with him. And then you get the reminder to you what it was like as time unfolded in history or in the life of individual. You go back to, because his name was also John Mark, you go back to Acts 13, when he's on the first, what we call the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. From the time you get to verse 13 of Acts 13, John Mark leaves Paul and Barnabas. Not told the reason, but whatever it is, he left. Did not, not, did not continue on the missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas, who was a, re, a relative of John Mark. When you get to going on the second missionary journey, over in Acts 16, verses 36 to 40, Paul and Barnabas decide it's time to go back and to revisit the places that we've been. Go back and encourage the brethren. Always something good about that. Always good about the, uh, the reunions or the opportunities to go back and to re-see people that you've seen and help convert along the way. And so they're wanting to go on the second journey. Barnabas wants to take John Mark with him. Relatives. Nepotism. Wants to take John Mark with him. Paul says, no way. He left us, not taking him with us. So much so, so much so that a sharp contention. We're talking about brothers in Christ. We're talking about souls who have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. We're talking about souls who have worked and labored together for years in spreading the gospel. And there is a sharp contention, not just a disagreement. A sharp disagreement between Barnabas and Paul. So they separate. And what's the glory of God in all of this? Twofold. Instead of one missionary journey, you've got two. Barnabas goes one way, Paul goes another way. 
Barnabas will take John Mark with him, and Paul will take Silas with him, and then they will go their separate ways. They will come back together later. But are simply reminding us as you read. Somewhere down the line, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. There had to be, you know, how things go. Uh, you hear some, some problem over someplace, and then that spreads around. There had to be some understanding throughout the Christian community that there was a disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. And now Paul is writing, and he's saying, and he would tell us, over to do, as he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 11. He's talking about John Mark. He said, you bring John Mark. He's useful to me. What's happened? Growth, has it not? Spiritual growth has taken place. Again, we're talking about one who was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're talking about one who was able to perform miracles. One who had the power to, in the conversion, to help to convert thousands of people. Had this sharp disagreement. Refused to take a young man with him for whatever reason. Years later, they didn't quit. They did not quit having association with each other. They continued to grow and to serve, maybe in different areas at different times, but they seemed to have some reconnection with each other, enough so that Paul wanted to have John Mark with him because he is useful. So when he just mentions that I've got Mark with me, that history has to come back. That understanding of the Christian courtesy and this fellowship that we have with each other along the way. We also have Aristarchus, who is mentioned in the Colossian letter as being a, a member. But then you have the next one down, which is Demas. And if you go to Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, and also Logan Philemon in verse 24 of, of, of that little short letter, Demas is mentioned. He's a servant. He's a minister. He's worked with Paul. Paul says, Demas is with me. He's working and serving me. He's a useful minister along the way. Whereas in John Mark, you had one who had some problems and he left the ministry or he left the, the, the company of Paul's group. And down in this case, you have one who is with Paul, Demas who's been working with Paul, serving with Paul. But then when you get over to 2 Timothy 4 and verse 10, Demas has left me. Demas had loved this world, and he left. It has a lot to do with, I mean, the teaching was working with each other, but it has a lot to do with, again, helping to understand up and down the line here as well as other places. Listen. 
The scriptures have always taught and will continue to teach, despite what man teaches, that it is not once saved, always saved. That is not the case. And that is one of those sharp reminders or a, a reminder to us as we look at our lives. We know from experience, I do, as well as many of you who have known those who have departed from the faith, who are no longer walking or serving God, no, who no longer even acknowledge God in any shape, form, or fashion. Faithful servants of God who completely departed from the faith. Demons love this present world. We live in this world, but as Jesus prayed in his prayer in John 17, Father, I pray that you not take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. We're not taken out of the world. If we were taken out of the world, who would take the gospel to the world? The Christians were taken out of the world. We're not taken out of the world. We have to live in the world. We have the association of those that are in the world. And we need to have the understanding that this present world has its attractions and its allurement. And we have to keep reminding ourselves, that's not it. All that glitters is not gold. It's always interesting to hear the allurements of Whatever's going on because of the recent conditions that are taking place with the, the COVID-19 and so on and so forth and hardships are taking place that if you've got a, a vehicle and so forth and you need to refinance it, we will refinance it for you at 2% lower than what you're paying now. They don't say how long you have to pay it off, but you know, they're going to help you out here. Uh, and the commercials and the as I say all the time, no, get this Dodge Ram pickup truck for pennies on the dollars, only cost you $47,000 now. Well, what was it before it got down to $47,000? Uh, the, I'm just saying, Demas got caught up in the world in which he lived. That has not changed. God's people live in the world. They're not to be of the world, but they're in the world. And as that fact, we have to constantly remind ourselves, and that's what? We have the scriptures for, to remind us, be careful of the world in which you live, that you do not allow it to overtake you. And it's done in subtle ways that we're not, that we're not careful of, and before we know it, we've lost an eternal reward with God. He also reminds us that Luke is with him. In the Colossian letter, he will mention those that were of the circumcision. And he, Paul would say, these are the only ones that are still with me of the circumcision. Then he goes on to mention some other names. And in that list of other names is the name of Luke, which says that Luke was not a Jew or from a Jewish background. He was a Greek, a non-Jew. Uh, didn't have to be from the island or, or from, uh, from Greek itself, but he just, a Greek was this uh, terminology explained to somebody. We would use the term foreigner, if you will. Somebody who was a foreigner. Out of our nationality, a foreigner. That's what a Greek was to, to those of the Jewish background. So he was not a Jew. And it's interesting, if you look at it from another perspective, 
What two books did Luke write? Interesting, isn't it? You read the Gospel of Luke, and how does he describe it as he begins? I've searched very diligently everything that is out there concerning this one called Jesus. And I'm writing it in order, in order that you might know who this Jesus is. He's writing to those of a non-Jewish background, if you will. But it is for all. But the other part is, the second book, the book of Acts. And what do we have in the book of Acts? We have the beginning of the church. Luke is the one who's writing to us about that. He's the one that's telling us how the church began on the day of Pentecost. He's telling us about how the church would begin to be spread throughout of the region, how it endured persecution, and then the disciples in Acts 8 and verse 4, that they went everywhere preaching the word. And then he would remind us a little bit later in Acts that when those Disciples went everywhere preaching the word. They went everywhere preaching the word to the Jew, to the Jews only. And then you have to get to Acts 10 to get to the household of Cornelius and going to the Gentiles. But it's interesting because Luke composes a good portion of the scriptures written by a Gentile. But Luke is with Paul. He writes with Paul, and if you read through Acts, you will catch his, his phraseology. Of that they went and then we went. So he had joined them on the missionary journeys. Uh, you catch a lot of that again in this short little book of Philemon. You've got a tremendous amount of information. Simply reminding us, one, that we live in a world that's imperfect. We live in a world in which we constantly need to be reminded of who we are, who we belong to. Need to be reminded of what was the purchase price for our redemption. We need to be reminded that as we live in this world, we're not to walk as those that are in the world. We're in the world, but not of the world. We have a different style of living, a different way of thinking. And again, we have given situations where society says, this is how you ought to respond to what has taken place. Here's what you need to do to a runaway slave who is now coming back home. But God says, here's another way of looking at it. He's no longer a runaway slave. In verse 11, he makes a play on the word of Onesimus, whose name means useful. And he talks about in verse 11, he says, useful at one time was not useful. But now useful is useful. And he's coming back home. Hope. There's always hope. And there's always hope in this world. There's always hope for us that sometimes we may drift. But we can always come back. We need to be careful because we've got those warnings. There are those who have drifted. 
and they drifted right back into the world. Philemon, do what's right. Treat one another, treat Onesimus as he would treat me myself. Let me remind you, Philemon, that you owe me your life, your spiritual life. I brought the gospel to you. And be aware as well as you deal with it that if Onesimus took anything when he left, just put it on my account. I'll take care of it. But also then to remind them, listen, we're brothers in Christ. Let's act and respond in that positive way. The choice is always ours. How will we react to the society in which we live? How will we react to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ who have our ups and our downs, our good times and our bad times, times when we're faithful, times when we're not? How do we treat each other along the way? And what are we hoping for as an end result? Whatever it is that we have to do here, we want to do here because of eternity there. Live for Jesus and his disciple ever be. If your life is not where it ought to be, if there's a need for you to make a change within your life, to draw closer to God or have prayers to brothers and sisters in Christ, if there's anything that we can do to help you along the way, we can encourage you in any way possible. If you need to respond to that invitation, it's yours. And we bid you to come as together we stand and sing.